Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. In view of celebrating, you know, last week, if you were here, we got to celebrate both at 9 o'clock and the 1045 of a new life in Christ. Um, Michael and Alex both surrendered their heart and their life to Christ last Sunday. And yes, we always want to celebrate salvation. And so it was such a big day watching them step from darkness to light. Um, but what was interesting in the conversation with, with these young men is we found out that they were actually living the life that Paul was warning the church against. They, they thought in their minds that Christianity was a bunch of religious activities. And if you remember, we, we made the list last week of all the religion. And then Christ says, hey, you know what? I'll exchange your long list of all that you're doing for the one thing that I've done. And that's I've loved you. And he said, hey, I'm going to offer this exchange. This is the great exchange that I want to put before you. And I'm thankful that last week that these two young men, they laid their list of religion down. And they were welcome into a relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is so encouraging. God offered this to them and they exchanged it. And so we're so thankful for that. They repented, they believed, and now they have that relationship. But one thing that we have to always be careful about is when we celebrate salvation, when we celebrate new life in Christ, is we must realize this is not the end. When you're saved by grace through faith, that's not the finish line. That's actually the starting line. So many times and so many places, that's what a lot of, we see a lot of churches doing. We just, hey, you know what? If you'll make this decision, you'll pray this prayer, you'll raise this hand, then you know what? Our job's done. No, it's not. It's just started. And so that's why we talk about groups a lot around here is because we, we want you to be in this group because this is where you're gonna mature in your faith. This is where you're gonna grow closer to family. This is where you're gonna learn to do life with people who are on the same path that you are on. So what we're gonna see today is that Paul is gonna kind of expound on this idea that it doesn't stop at salvation. But matter of fact, it, it really starts there. Salvation is not the finish line, it's the starting line. And what you're going to hear from, from some of this text that Paul is communicating today, and he said, yes, I am thankful I'm saved, but now let's go to work. I'm thankful I'm saved, but now it's time to go to work. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're just going to be reading just a few verses this morning, but we're going to start in verse 12. So if you don't have a Bible, I want you to look on your screen in front and then we can read together. It says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. To make this as simple as I know how, Paul is simply wanting us to understand, yes, I'm born again, but I'm not perfect yet. I'm born again, but I'm not perfect yet. And the reality is, is we won't be perfect until our life here is over. 
until we take our last breath, until the Lord Jesus comes to take us home. But he's saying, hey, look, I'm born again, but I'm not perfect yet. But here's what I love about Paul's heart. And this is what I want all of our heart to be today moving forward is, yes, we may not be perfect. Yes, we may be saved, but not perfect. But what we are called to do is we are called to do the very thing that Paul did. We are called to exhaust ourselves in reflecting the miraculous work of salvation that Christ has done in our lives. This is it. This is Christianity. That we are to exhaust ourselves to put on display the miraculous work of salvation in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I've been saved, but I'm not perfect yet, but I'm gonna do everything I can to reflect God's glory in this miraculous work that he's done in me. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes to accomplish it. But what I love about his transparency and his humility is he's saying, look, you know what? I know this is my job. I know this is what, this is what I'm supposed to do, but there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done. Now I wanna call time out right here because I don't want us to revert back to the way of thinking that, that Paul warned the church against last week. Because remember, he was warning against the false teachers because here they've been saved by grace through faith. They've been set free of the bondage of the law. They've been taught and they know now that it's not about what they've done, but it's about what Christ has done. And these false teachers are saying, hey, yeah, but you know what? You still have to do this. You still have to do that. You still have to accomplish this in order to earn God's love. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the gospel is about. So I want you to hear that this morning. We're gonna be talking about working. We're gonna talk about doing things for the Lord. But what I want you to understand, we're not doing them hoping that God will take hold of us. But we are doing them in response of what Paul says that Christ has already taken hold of us. We do it in a way, in a manner of saying, thank you for what you've done in my life. For Paul to reflect the miraculous work of Christ was probably leaving a lot of people speechless. Wait a minute, this is the guy that did this, this is the guy that did that. But the more Paul served the Savior, we realized that it was causing a buzz. People were saying, hey, do you know about his past? You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's what we want people to see in your life. That's what they want, we want people to see in our life is we want them to see this miraculous work that has been accomplished on the cross. But you know, as we see this, we see that Paul is saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna work because I know what God's done for me. I'm gonna exhaust myself in reflecting this miracle because I'm so unworthy of this kind of love. You know, I got a story that I think will help us maybe understand and comprehend exactly what Paul is trying to say. Um, my oldest daughter, Andy, had a, had a big decision to make this week. She was, had been approached by one of her coaches to, to run cross country. And so she was really battling, do I run cross country or do I not? Do I, do I really do this or do I not? And so we're on the way to school on Monday morning and I asked I ask Andy, I said, well, babe, what are, you, what are you gonna do? Today's like the first day of practice. And she says, uh, I don't know, daddy. Well, hello, you got you know, practice in like eight hours. And I said, well, Andy, I'm, I'm gonna ask you an earth-shattering question here. Do you like to run? And she says, no. 
But she made very quickly, she doesn't like to run long distance. So she likes to run from here to there, but not long distance. And so I asked her the question, I said, well, babe, you do realize that cross country is just running. Like in basketball or football, it's one thing to have a running practice because the next day, maybe you get to scrimmage. Maybe at the end of practice, you get to bring the balls out. But cross country, all it is, is running. Now, no offense to those of you who like running, okay? But, I, 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 but you, you've seen my stature. I don't like to run long distance. So it's kind of in the hall genetics that we run from like point A to point B. Like that's it, short, quick. Let's get this over with. And so I asked Andy, I said, well, babe, if you don't like running, then why are you wanting or thinking about running cross country? And her response was, was, was daddy, I don't, I don't wanna let Coach Baker down. You see, Coach Baker was her basketball coach last year. And what she developed with Coach Baker was a loving relationship. She realized how much her coach cared for her. She realized how much her coach loved her. And so Andy thought in her mind, if she can run cross country, that this is gonna be one way that I can let Coach Baker know that I love her too. This will be my way to say thank you because I understand now how much my coach loves me. But you see, what I want you to understand is what we have to retrain our minds to do is that the reason that we work for the Lord, the reason that we are submissive to what God wants us to do is not so that we earn his love, but it's a simple way to say, thank you, God, for loving me in spite of who I am. That's my response. My response of my lifestyle is to reflect your miraculous work in me and for me to simply wake up every day and have the opportunity to say, God, I wanna thank you with my life. God, I want to thank you with my life. And yes, here's the reality. There's going to be some things that are tough. There's going to be some hard decisions to be made. But you know, my, my daughter was willing to put all of her desire aside just to simply say thank you to a coach who loved her. What would it look like if we as followers of Christ would put all that aside, put all of our wants, all of our comfort, everything that we like, and just say simply, God, if I have to give it up, God, I'll do it if it's a way for me to tell you thank you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel response is understanding what he has done for us. But then what we're gonna go on to see is not only is Paul saying, hey, I get an opportunity to live this thing out, but he's gonna give us some instructions on how to live it out. I love this text because it is so simple. It is so laid out and it is so strategic to help us understand it. Read with me in verses 13 and 14. We see here verses 13 and 14. It says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Now what, this, what these two verses do is they kind of, they lay out the action plan. God, or Paul is gonna put a goal in front of him and we see there, he says, this is the one thing the one thing that I wanna focus on is in verse 14, he says, I'm gonna focus on the one thing I'm gonna be passionate about is pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, I'm going to exhaust myself 
and pressing forward to what God has called me to do. I'm gonna focus on this one thing. And this press on, this phrase would have been used when we would be referencing a, a hunter going after his prey. It would mean that's how passionate he is, how much devotion he had. And Paul is saying, look, I'm gonna be so devoted, I'm gonna be so focused that I've got this one goal in front of me and nothing is going to stop me from doing it. I'm gonna be that passionate about making the name of the one who saved me famous. So he's put this goal out. I wanna be the best follower of Christ that I can possibly be. And so, you know, we can all agree that it's, it's one thing to make a goal. It's one thing to have a goal, but it's a whole nother thing to put an action plan in place that helps us reach that goal, helps us obtain that goal. And so what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna kind of walk us through this process of, of how do we put a plan together? How do we put a plan together to accomplish what, what we're trying to accomplish to say, God, I thank you? How do we work that out? But you know, the first thing that you have to do is you have to evaluate your current condition. If you've got a goal, you wanna achieve that goal, you wanna live up to this, whatever it may be, but you have to evaluate your current condition to find out what you've gotta work on, what you've gotta get better at in order to achieve that goal. I think about it from a coach's perspective a lot of times. I think about it from an athlete's perspective a lot of times. I know as a basketball player, I always wanted to be the best basketball player that I could possibly be. But what I had to do each week, what I had to do every practice is I had to evaluate my current condition. I had to see what was standing in the way of me accomplishing this goal to be the best that I could be. And maybe it was I needed to work on my left-handed dribbling. Maybe it was I needed to work on, on a 15-foot jump shot. Maybe as a point guard, it was working on seeing the floor better. But what I had to do is I had to evaluate the current condition so that I can know what areas that I needed to work at. But what we as the body of Christ must do is we must ask the Holy Spirit of God to evaluate our hearts and our lives and say, God, what is diminishing the reflection of my life of your glory? God, what areas of my life do I need to work on? What areas of my life are, are making your light dim? But the hard part is, is when we begin that evaluation process, it can be painful at times. It can be difficult at times. And our pride can often swell up inside of us and we can say, hey, you know what, I got that. I don't need to work on that. But my prayer is this morning that maybe if nothing else, that the Holy Spirit of God evaluates your heart this morning and as he makes you aware of the areas of your life that you need to work on to better reflect his glory, that you would respond to that. And I know some of you are going, oh, this is the most legalistic thing I've ever heard. Don't go there. Don't go there because we have an opportunity. We have a commandment of God to reflect his glory and we respond in such a way to say, thank you. We're not doing it to earn his love, but we're doing it because we already have it through Christ Jesus. That's why we live it out. It's a way of saying thank you. So it's not about legalism. It's about response but it's also about responsibility. And so what we're seeing is Paul, he evaluates his life. And we see that he evaluates it because he's saying, hey, I've not laid hold of it yet. 
And what he's talking about, I've not laid hold of it yet, is perfection. I've not achieved it yet. And matter of fact, I'm not going to. But, he's, but remember, as we said just a moment ago, he's doing this not so that he can earn it and God will take hold of him. But as he's already said, he said, I'm doing this because he's already taken hold of me. Do you know what take hold of translates to? He's made me his own. He's made me his own in spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done. But he's made you his own. But after Paul realizes I've not laid hold of it yet, he's evaluated and then he begins to share with us some, some areas of need some things that he needs to work on in order to achieve what God has called him to do. And we see that. We read it just a moment ago in verses 13 and 14. In the first one, he says there, the first thing I've got to work on, the first thing I've got to do is I've got to forget what lies behind. The first thing I've got to do is I've got to get back to forgetting what lies behind me. And so I know that we always go to the negative side of this and we're gonna kind of flip that in just a minute. But what Paul is saying here is saying, I've gotta make a break from my past. I've gotta make a break from where I've been. If I wanna press on and I wanna keep moving in the direction that God has called me to move, I've gotta let go of who I was. Because many of you know that this, this is a guy who, who murdered believers who hindered the growth of the church, who persecuted the church. And so if Paul is saying that I've got to let go of my past, one would be led to believe that the enemy would oftentimes remind him of his past. And every time he was reminded of his past, we, we would be led to believe it's probably a lot like us. What happens when the enemy reminds us of where we've been? We feel disqualified from doing anything that God's called us to do. We feel unworthy. We're saying there's no way that God can use me. Maybe there's even parts of us as we're ashamed to say God use me because we're worried about what the world is gonna think because they're gonna point the fingers and say, hey, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. So we have to believe there that, that Paul struggled with this. Was this something that he had to constantly do? I've gotta forget what lies behind me. But here's where we have the misconception of what forget means. Forget what lies behind does not mean you fail to remember it. It doesn't mean that you get to push delete. It doesn't mean that it's just erased from your mind. I wish it worked that way. It would make it a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? If it would just go away in our minds and our flesh. But what Paul is communicating here, he's saying, look, it's not failed to remember it, but to forget what lies behind is no longer being influenced or affected by your past. No longer be influenced or affected by what's happened before me. Don't let it bog you down. Don't let it slow you down. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say that you can't do this because of what you've done in the past. You know, have you ever felt, though, that maybe because of your past, and maybe your past, I know a lot of times when we think about our past, we go back like 20 years. We go back 30 years. But maybe the past that you need to forget is yesterday. Maybe the past that you need to forget is this morning. 
Maybe this morning you're even here in worship and everything in you, you wanted to worship the Lord. You wanted to lift your hands. You wanted to come to the altar. But for whatever happened, something took place before church. Something happened yesterday. You fell back into temptation yesterday or or the day before and you feel unworthy to lift your hand. Forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind and don't let what lies behind hinder your worship now. And don't understand, don't don't think of it this way. Worship is not just lifting your hands in church. Worship is your lifestyle. Worship is how you live. Worship is putting on display what's worth something to you. So don't get caught looking behind you. You know, I don't know what your past is. You do. Maybe your family does. But can I tell you, you're never gonna find the work that God has for you in front looking backwards. You ain't gonna find it. You're not going to find it. But here's what I wanna encourage you with. And this is a very simple statement. God hasn't given up on you. That's really earth shattering, isn't it? God hasn't given up on you. Quit looking behind. But you know, anytime we focus on this text and we talk about forget what's behind, we always want to lean towards the negative side of stuff. But truthfully, there's a lot of us in the room that we need to forget what lies behind in reference to the good stuff. How many times it often, man, I just wish we could go back to the good old days. Look, we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all had those conversations, maybe about where we've gone to church before, or maybe what fellowship that we used to be a part of. Can I tell you, I have some of the most heartbreaking conversations with people who are a part of a church, and their comments are, I just want my old church back. Why? His mercies are new every day. God's got new directions. God's got new plans. Don't look back to what used to be good when God's got in front of that body of believers for what's better. I had a man tell me that one time. He came to me one Sunday at a restaurant. I think it was after church somewhere. And I was asking him, hey, how are things going? I just want my old church back. And I looked at him. I said, look, I don't want to offend you. But your old church ain't coming back. Because God's bigger than your old church. God's bigger than your old church. God's got new plans for you. And you can't quit. You've got to stop looking backwards and look forward to what he's got in front of you. Because also, you know what happens when we look back on all the good? I don't know about you, but it tends to make me lazy. A lot of times I can justify my laziness when I think back on some, maybe some good things that have happened. You can look back at maybe how God's used you in your life or maybe when, when things were just going absolutely unbelievable for the kingdom because you were being obedient and now God puts something in front of you that he wants you to do new, that's gonna be tough, that you don't even know how, what it's gonna look like and you in your mind, you can justify, well, you know what? I don't really have to do that this time because here's what I've done for years. I've done this for years, so I don't... Uh, I can take some time off. Can I tell you, 
If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. So don't look in the past and think, well, I've done this or I've done that. Keep your eyes focused on where God is calling you now. And I promise you, I promise you, you will keep moving forward and the kingdom will keep growing. Don't get caught up looking in the past in the good or the bad. You know, and it's so heartbreaking because I see people so many times hang their head in shame because they feel like they've let their family down. They feel like they've let their children down. Maybe even feel like you've let God down. I wanna remind you what Paul says. That if anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You've been made new. Do you know what made new means? Made new. Ah, rocket science. It's made new. The old is gone. The new has come. Stop looking back. Forget what lies behind. And then the next thing Paul puts in front of himself is he said, I've got to keep reaching forward. I've got to keep reaching forward. Some of your Bibles may say stretching. So we've seen the two things that Paul said he's got to work on. He's got to forget what lies behind and he's got to stretch forward. He's got to look forward. And this phrase would have been used in, in terms of, of athletes. It would be talking of, of, of stretching muscles to their limits. And the picture that he's trying to paint here is, is a runner that would be straining every muscle they had to reach the finish line. And so we can understand that if you ever strained your muscles, it hurts. And with everything in you, you wanna stop because you've exerted that muscle. And this is exactly what it looks like as we are obedient in our faith. As we press on to the finish line, we're gonna get sore, we're gonna get exhausted, we're gonna get tired, but what we've gotta keep doing is pressing towards the goal. Pressing towards the goal of God has called us to in Christ Jesus. And don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the pain. Don't get distracted by the hurdles. Don't get distracted by how hard it's gonna be because here's what I want you to hear. Following Christ is going to be hard. Being obedient to Jesus Christ is gonna be the toughest thing you've ever done because you've got a world who is telling you not to. It's gonna be tough. But this is why Paul says you can't look back and you've gotta stay forward and pressing on in the direction God has called you. You know, there's a story that I've shared. I, I told my wife, I said, I, should, I think I've shared this story like three or four times since I've been here. So I'm gonna share it again. And she goes, I don't, I've never heard it. I'm like, yes, you have. You just don't listen. So <laughs> praise God. Yeah, she's in a day. She don't even know what, she took a test after. She wouldn't have a clue what we talked about. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I love you, honey. You're gorgeous today. Woo, you're gorgeous today. I'm trying to, <laughs> dang. And yesterday and the day. Dad, Jared, shut up. <laughs> Dang it. Anyway, but I remember, I love, I, I did, I liked running track in high school. Now keep in mind, I've already told you I hated running, 
but it was very short distances. Okay, I, I liked running short distances. That was it. And so one day at track practice, the coach asked me, he said, hey, hey, B. Hall, I think you could be good at the 400. If you know anything about the 400, it's one lap, right? For me, that's a long way. I'm used to like 100 to 200 at most. He said, I think you'd be good at it. Let's, let's, run the four, let's do the 400. So I get up to the starting line. I said, Coach Howington, how in the world do I run this race? He said, you just go hard all the way. Okay. So I get to the starting line. He shoots the gun. I take off running. Hard as I can go. First 30 yards, I'm fine. Going to turn one, turn two, I'm still doing good. I get down to turn three. Start to feel a little winded. About the time I turn into to turn four, these little, I don't know if they were monsters or what, but something jumped out of the track and like attached concrete blocks to my ankles. And I could no longer put right foot in front of left foot. I was hurting, I was dying, and it happened just like that. So if you've ever been to North Hall High School, you know that in, in turn four, as you're getting ready, remember you're in the home stretch. This is the last 100 meters to the finish line. Right tucked in the left corner of the track is a pole vault mat. You know what pole vault, Matt, they are soft. And so with everything in me, I come around turn three, get into turn four. They're screaming, they're, hey, you're about to break the school record. And you know what that meant to me? Nothing. Because instead of keeping my eyes on the prize, which I knew was about to be mine, instead of getting hard as I could go in that straightaway, I took a hard left and I did a face plant right in the pole vault, Matt, because it was a whole lot more comfortable. It was a whole lot easier and I was done. But the reality is, is how many times does that happen in our faith of following Jesus Christ? Turn one, I get saved, man, it's looking good. Turn two, now all of a sudden, I thought life was supposed to be easier now that I'm trusting and following Christ. And then in turn three, wait a minute, they're calling for my obedience. I'm having to repent. I'm having to turn away from the things I used to love. And now we get into turn four. We're on the back stretch. And now all of a sudden, life gets hard. Life gets difficult and we get exhausted. And instead of keeping our eyes focused on what God has called us to do, we see something that looks a lot more comfortable comfortable and a lot more easy. And we just take a hard left and we throw in the towel and say, I can't go anymore. This is not what I signed up for. Because I can honestly tell you there's days in my life that that pole vault mat looks awful appealing. Some of you right now, you're in turn four and you are hurting the blocks are on your ankles and you feel like you can't put a right in front of the left and you are ready to throw in the towel and the enemy is over there sitting with his legs crossed on that pole vault mat saying, come on, man, it's a whole lot easier over here. Just go back to your old ways. Just get lazy for the Lord. Quit working so hard. And you know what will even happen is the enemy will tell you, well, you're already saved, so what's the point? If that's the case, then you truly don't understand the price that was paid for you. But some of you this morning, you're in turn four and you are ready to quit. Get your eyes on the finish line. Press on to what God has called you to do. Keep your eyes focused. Keep your eyes on the prize and you strain every muscle. You be devoted with all that you are. Because remember, when we are, it's an easy way to say, thank you, God, 
for the price you paid for me. Thank you, God, for the price you paid for me. And so what we've seen is this, this model that Paul has laid out. He's, he's put a goal in front of himself. He's evaluated his current condition and then he's put in kind of a, an action plan. And so he's talking to himself. This is individual. This is to us as individuals. This is how we are to do this. This is how we are to keep striving forward. But what I love is in verse 15, he changes gears. And he goes from addressing the individual to addressing the body, to addressing the church. And look at what he says in verse 15. And we pick up on it immediately. He says, let us, let us, this is all of us. So let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. To simplify this, Paul is saying here, let, let us as the church have this attitude. He's saying as a body of believers, yes, we've got to have this attitude of that. Yes, I'm saved. I'm not perfect. And I'm going to exhaust myself living for the one that saved me to simply say thank you. He's saying that's got to be all of our attitudes. But what I believe Paul is also wanting us to learn here is that, that we want to always talk about grace and forgiveness and mercy. And we, our attitude is we are so thankful for it in our lives. We are so thankful when God forgives us, when God extends grace, when God gives mercy on us. But the sad reality is, is what we must do is we've got to realize as we mature in Christ, it's one thing to forget what lies behind us, but we've also got to forget what lies behind everybody else. Because the reality is, is if we realize that we're all in this thing together, we're all saved, but not perfect. But for some reason, even the church, even bodies of believers, yes, we love to celebrate our forgiveness and grace and mercy in Christ, but we are so quick to not extend it to someone else. We expect perfection from everybody else when we celebrate our imperfections. And we get angry, we get bitter, we get frustrated. Somebody does us wrong and it is so hard to forgive. But here's a, a fact that, that's kind of hard to, to reconcile in our minds sometimes. You know what that's a reflection of? Our spiritual immaturity. It's time that the church grows up. It's time that we learn to extend forgiveness the same way that it's been extended to us. You know, there's a story in the Bible that Jesus, he has a conversation with Peter and Peter's kind of struggling with this. You don't have to turn there. It's gonna be on the screen. I'm just gonna read it. That's all I'm gonna do. There's no reason to unpack it. It says everything we need to hear in this verses that I'm about to read. So I want you just to listen. And it's in regards to forgiveness. Then Peter came and he said to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle an account with his slaves. Verse 24, when he had begun to settle them, 
one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents, just so you can comprehend, that was like almost between 150,000 and 200,000 years of wages. In today's money, that's billions of dollars is how much money that was. This is how much the slave owed the Lord or owed his Lord. Verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay it, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and a repayment to be made. Verse 26, so the slave fell on his face on the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and he released him and he forgave him the debt. But immediately the slave went out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now keep in mind, you know how, how much money that was? That was one day wage, one day. Somebody owed him one day's worth of work. And because he owed him that, it said that he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and he began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Pretty simple story to understand. The reason that he wasn't willing to extend the very thing that had been given him was spiritual immaturity. The reason we love to celebrate forgiveness in our lives, but yet we're slow to extend it is because we are spiritually immature. Believer, if I could tell you anything today, you can never go wrong with erring on the side of grace. Always err on the side of grace. Err on the side of what was given to you. And as we mature in our faith, as we mature in our knowledge of knowing who Christ is, we're gonna be able to learn how to extend grace and forgiveness because we learn the depths of what was done for us. We learn the depths of what was done for us. So yes, it's easy to forget what lies behind you. But have you forgotten what lies behind everybody else too? And I love this. Basically, Paul says, if this isn't your attitude, I hope God reveals it to you. If this isn't your attitude, I hope God keeps working on you. And that's also where we have to realize, let God fix it. You're not the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to fix everybody else. Instead of fixing it, you just pray for them. Instead of trying to fix it, just pray for them. But I love where Paul ends, where we're gonna read today in verse 16. It's kind of the challenge for the church as an entirety. He says in verse 16, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. 
He's telling them here, let us always be maintaining progress. Let us always be moving in the same direction. You know, the reality is, is the saddest place for a believer to be going, the saddest direction for a believer to be headed is backwards. But as a Christian, it should be a challenge to all of us as a follower of Christ that we should always be moving forward. Now, what we could do is we could take surveys today. And for every person that's trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we could take this survey and we could, we could kind of figure out where everybody's at spiritually. And the truth is, is that every person in this room is in a different level of your journey of following Christ. And what I want you to hear is that's completely okay. But the place that we should all be in this journey together is the farthest point we've ever been. Does that make sense? We're not always gonna be on level playing ground, but one thing that we as the church can be doing is that we can always be in our individual life the farthest point in our journey of growing in our maturity of Christ. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look church, this is what we gotta do. We've got to keep moving forward. We've gotta keep growing in our faith. We've gotta keep being discipled and, be, and discipling. This is why we talk about groups all the time. It is so important that you're in a group, that you're a part of a family, that you're growing in your faith with someone. That's what the body of Christ is for. And so I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for passages like this because of the simplicity of understanding what Paul is wanting us to learn here. You know, for all of us, maybe you're at that evaluation state. You know, maybe you've trusted Christ as your savior, but you can say, well, you know what, Brian, I know that I'm not headed in that direction anymore. Matter of fact, I've gone backwards and I'm not reflecting this marvelous glory that I know has been extended to me. Maybe when we give an invitation in a moment, you need to ask God to evaluate your life. And the reality is, is for some of you, for a lot of you, God's already revealed to you what that is as you're sitting in your seat. And so that first step is that evaluation. But now once the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, the, the areas of weaknesses, these gaps, or these, these things that are dimming the light of the Lord, He's saying, hey, here's what's dimming me in your life. You need to give it up. Follow me instead. Trust me instead. Instead of trusting a substance, trust me. Instead of being in control, trust me. And maybe as the Spirit of God leads you to do that, what you need to do is surrender that today. And you need to say, hey, you know what? That's what I've always ran to, but today I've got to stop looking behind and I've got to turn around and look where God's called me to go and where he's leading me now. And maybe as the Holy Spirit's evaluated you, you need to put that plan in place. That strategic plan, that discipline. You say, well, you're talking about discipline? Yeah, to grow in anything, it's gonna take discipline. To grow in anything, it's gonna take discipline. Why is our faith any different? I wanna close by reading a quote that John Newton, many of you have probably heard it, you, you hear it read a lot, but it 
pretty much sums up these few verses that we've read this morning. And the beauty of it is, is every single person in this room can relate to one of these statements. He says this, I am not what I should be. I am not what I wanna be. I'm not what I will be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. That's one of the most encouraging things I think for all believers to read. Where are you at in that? None of us are what we should be. We've all fallen short. Are you what you wanna be? And maybe that wanna be is to be the best follower of Christ you can be. I'm not. I'm not what I wanna be. But you know what, I also am not right now what I will be one day. And it ain't got anything to do with me, but it's got everything to do with what he's already finished. But I can celebrate and stand before you that praise be unto God because of my faith in Christ. I am not what I used to be. And if you can't say that this morning, if you can't say that I'm not what I used to be, maybe you still are that same person. And when I say that, you may not have a relationship with, with Christ. You never placed your faith in the finished work of the cross. Can I tell you this morning that he wants to exchange what he's done with what you're trying to do? I don't care how long your list of religion is. And maybe that person here today, you say, well, I don't even got no list of religion. I don't even care. Can I tell you? He still wants to offer you a relationship with him in spite of what you're not doing. That's love. That is love. That lets us know that it has nothing to do with you. And so if you've never been saved, I would pray that today as the Holy Spirit draws you, that today would be that day of surrender. That today would be that day where you place your faith in his finished work. But maybe as a believer today, you're not being obedient because you're living in the past. Quit looking backwards. What God has for you is not back there. It's not. What God has for you here is not gonna be found back there. So quit looking. Let's turn our eyes to the direction that God is calling us. Stop living in the past, whether good or bad. Don't worry about the good old days. Make the days come in the best days. And you be obedient with what God's called you to do. Because here's the reality. I know that over the last several weeks that many of you in this room are wrestling with what God has called you to do. Maybe there's, there's men and women that need to be obedient in following Christ. 
Maybe it's in occupational ministry. Maybe it's saying, hey, yes, I'm putting my yes on the table and it scares me to death. But every time you get to that place where you're getting ready to say, okay, I'm ready to take the leap of faith, that enemy reminds you of your past. And you say, oh, you know what? You're right. You can't use me because of my past. The beauty of the gospel is, is your past may be the exact thing he wants to use. But I wonder who in the room today just needs to submit and surrender and say, God, use me. God, use me. So how do you need to respond today? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna tell you how you need to respond, but the one thing I'll ask of you is to be obedient to what God's asking you to do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.